Welcome to The Dragon and the Stoic, the podcast where a writer and a composer sit down to share insights from the creative industry, life of freelance, and artistic expression. Each episode is a container in which we explore craftsmanship, relationships, processes, and how to live a life with the courage to create. Finally, we will end each episode with a moment integrating the topics discussed in a curated, bespoke experience. What that is, you'll just have to find out. But I guess it's the result of what happens if you put a wordsmith together with a composer. Welcome to the second episode of 2024, The Graveyard of Pitches. Welcome back to The Dragon and the Stoic. Our very first, second episode. I guess every episode is going to be the first for its kind. Um, but yeah, we're a bit senior now. We've done this one time uh, before. How? This is how, not our first rodeo. No, it's <laughs> literally our second. Um, how was it for you to launch the first episode? Uh, it was very scary, but also hugely exciting at the same time. And I think the thought that people were going to listen to that didn't feel too scary in the lead up to it until we actually kind of pressed the button mm. and i think there is people have i've heard people talk about in the past this feeling of just before you release something there's almost like a flood of new information that comes out because you know that it's to write about you know it's going to be public mm. the next time you listen to it yeah, you listen to it from people's perspectives instead of just like your own your yeah. own creative perspective. Yeah, like I've heard lots of people who post things on YouTube all the time that have sort of teams around them. They still make sure they're the person to press post on every single one just because that moment just before posting is kind of, you get new insights about it mm. um, that you didn't get before. But yeah, the fear of failure was present for sure. And then it was just out. And then once it was kind of over the line and out, uh, it felt great. It felt great that we had done it and put it out into the world. And um, there was lots listening back that I would like to continue to improve upon. But I think that's the same with putting anything out. And then you just keep going and go at it again. Yeah. How was it for you? Yeah, I mean, we uh, kind of shared that uh, entire journey from posting and then kind of sitting next to each other on the sofa and be like, what do we do now? <laughs> um, but yeah, it feels great that it's out. And I think it's such a good practice of actually sharing things with the public because you do let go of control to a certain extent. And I mean, we're not doing this to become like podcasters and we're not doing it for... Um, fame or whatever, you know, uh, reasons you might want to do a podcast is very much like put us on a trajectory where we uh, challenge ourselves and we um, slowly but surely build a community of people who might resonate with what we're, we're thinking and, you know, doing. Um, but it's still crazy that looking back at the stats, because you do, you get to get stats on everything nowadays. And there was people from 16 different countries listening and that to me just was like a, a, another reminder of the internet, you know. Yeah. Like how on earth was people from 16 different parts of the world uh, listening to our voices in ether is just, yeah, it's very cool. 
It's very cool. Yeah. And makes me think of the original sort of dream of the internet or internet 1.0, which was exactly that. And it's kind of the best part of the internet, isn't it? That we're able to say something here in our home and someone in, I mean, I think there was one person in South Africa, was it? Mm. Or I can't remember. Mm. Whoever it is in South Africa, we love you. But places that, I mean, I would never have thought someone would listen to it in, but then you forget yeah. that our community and people yeah. that would listen to us is all over the world. Yeah, still so 51% of the listeners were in Sweden. So shout out to my Swedish crew. There will be a context still in which country we will have the biggest audience and I'm rooting for Sweden. So this episode is about failure. Mm. And this topic kind of just appeared to us, didn't it? It wasn't necessarily what we'd planned to. I mean, it didn't appear to us. It got shoved in, in your face because <laughs> you failed. <laughs> I failed. Um, yeah, I mean, I went through a process with a music pitch, which is often the case with music. Well, certainly in music for media, films, adverts or, or the like, um, where there is a pitching stage. And in a way, almost every job that you do as a composer or that I do, it, it does feel like a pitch to an extent because the, even if it's an existing relationship where there is trust, you still need to prove that you still got the the thing that, you know, they the trusted you in the first place for. The juice. The juice, right. And so I think over the years I've come to get better at this, you know, this world of pitching and how you win some, you lose some. But this one in particular was um, was a big, big one to lose. And I think that what I ended up doing had a lot to it. That And that is why that's become the kind of nucleus of this conversation. Mm. Um, I think something that, that was seen as a failure actually was very important to, and these, you know, all these failures are very important to the ongoing creative process and learning from them and also constantly practicing not to take the failure as some discouragement. Yeah, and a little teaser for everyone listening to this is that at the end of this episode, you will be able to um, listen to this failed piece. You will listen to Joseph's uh, uh, real life failure. Um, and it just feels good to kind of give this this piece a, a little platform within our own kind of, um, with our own intentions of just sharing authentically both what was created, what we really liked and, and thought was an amazing piece but for some uh, reason didn't get picked in the commercial world. And yeah, just to give it a bit new life. Yeah, and I think there's something that feels almost cathartic about that because there are, there are so many pitches in the world, not just in music, that go un, um, unloved. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. I think uh, a shout out to all those, all that creativity that, that doesn't see um doesn't see the light of day yeah maybe we should call this episode the graveyard of pitches yeah put a put a flower down on each gravestone grieve all the lost souls out there <laughs> and for anyone curious about how a process like this can look like from getting a brief of this pitch and then getting selected out of all those different pitches and then you spent a few weeks working on this in constant feedback loops 
to perfect this this piece and then to get rejected. I think there is a sense when you're pitching that, um, you know, with each round of feedback, it feels like you're getting closer and closer to the, the landing the gig. Um, but really that's sort of, but you're also always trying to tell yourself, well, nothing is, um, nothing is approved here. But yeah, it's impossible not to feel like when it's just getting better and better and better and closer and closer that, that to start thinking that it's going to happen. Mm. And I think in this case, um, I got a bit more attached than I normally would because the style of the music was very much, you know, as a composer, you often write in different styles, but sometimes you land on a, on a brief that feels like it's really intuitive and feels like it it kind of plays to your strengths and mm. that was and it's exciting like it feels from my perspective it really felt like you were in in somewhat of a innovative space where like so much is happening in the track that is just a bit unexpected as well in relationship to the um, the film as well but then to go through the process and then for it to it ended up going a completely different direction that was nothing really to do with anything that I was doing. And it was interesting in the fact that when I was, when I got the news that, you know, obviously wasn't going to happen, I wasn't as disappointed as I thought I might have been. You'd think after putting that much work in that it would be incredibly disappointing, which it was on some level, but it felt like there was some purpose to that. And, you know, even if that purpose is just stays here as this podcast, like that felt meaningful. It felt like there was going to be some kind of purpose to it that was beyond this commercial. So that's about all I can say about it. And it just felt good to, to give it another place to, um, to live. So speaking about this failure dilemma, and it, does, it, it feels like quite an enormous topic because there are so many kind of tributaries and avenues we could go down with this. But one thing I came across that really piqued my interest around this, because obviously lots of very smart people have talked about failure over the centuries, but something that Marcus Aurelius said was, just as nature takes every obstacle, every impediment, and works around it, turns to its purposes, incorporates it into itself, so too a rational being can turn each setback into raw material and use it to achieve its goal. It's a whole mouthful there, a wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a mouthful. But um, I love the analogy to, to nature because nature is just in constant state of change and repair. And, and death. Death like There's and so much destruction. <laughs> these micro failures that we experience in our life, I think that's quite a comforting thought to think that that's just in this kind of undulating texture of all things without getting too floaty with it. But, you know, there's something, it, feel, it give, reminds you that you're part of something bigger. It's kind of the same as walking down to the ocean and we're lucky enough to, to live close to the sea. And just to see that these bigger forces will be here long after this microcosm yeah. which we're living in. But also I feel like the nature lacks the ego we have with being attached to like failure or or decay or death or whatever is like not just like pumping with prosperity in life. Um, we have a tendency to judge that as something inherently bad, whilst I feel like nature is just like, oh yeah, 
it's just part of it, baby, you know? Um, so it's definitely something that we've constructed. And I think it's a part of, um, specifically in the Western world that we find ourselves living in and uh, under, you know, its structures. I think it's even more prevalent here because we have these ideas of what you need to achieve in life and how to kind of pose in society as successful or unsuccessful. Uh, and all those those very subconscious like lessons from life that we've picked up makes it very hard for us to to deal with failure without feeling like immense shame. Or if we're feeling immense shame, how do we kind of alchemize that into something that's um, yeah, expansive and productive and something that humbles us for life and like feeds our creativity and so on. Um, so I think it's, yeah, as you say, it's a topic we speak about failure and like failure fast and do it again. And, you know, like there's, there's a lot of these. Um, um, BMAT wisdoms around the topic. Yeah, exactly. But I think what I'm lacking in life in general probably is the, the expression of the genuine um, to allow the feeling to be the, the raw feeling, not the afterwards conclusion. Because I think it's so easy in our world that we we shy away when we're kind of like in the process of failing something. And then afterwards, when we figured out how to speak about it, that's how you show it. And you 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 only speak about it if you if you manage to also make it <laughs> to something good. Otherwise, you actually don't uh, talk about it. Like I, I can't remember when I heard someone just sit honestly and talk about something that they failed without have had a solution for it. I mean, we're doing it with this podcast in a way as well. Like, oh, we're going to give it a new life or we're going to, um, yeah, put it to another another purpose. But I at least think that this, this uh, approach is a little bit more connected to the raw feeling of like, it's just happened. Like, no matter if we public, pu- uh, publish it on this, this podcast, it still got rejected. Like, it's, uh, that's just the, the, mm. the, the you know, it didn't get picked up by some other label and then it made millions, you know, so f- remember to fail. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. The pressure to please other people. And- or please the ego. It's, it's, I think it's both. And those go hand in hand. Because yeah. I think that we see, each other, we see ourselves through the lens of other people, um, which is why we reacted, you know, a bit like on the inside when we published this podcast, episode one. It's that moment that you talked about is the moment where it's going to be witnessed by other people and how threatening that can be. Because through the eyes of other people, we judge our own value or, you know, progress or whatever it might be that we're doing. These external validators. Mm. I'd like to hear about your relationship with failure. Wouldn't you? I would. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Has it changed at all over the years? How do you sort of wield this beast yeah, for me, it's, it's changed drastically from something I desperately tried to escape at all costs to something I'm not necessarily encouraged on a daily basis, but I like meet it at a daily basis. Um, and I think that kind of close relationship that I've nurtured with it over the past few years or decade now um, is it's beautiful to have witnessed that journey within myself because... I had quite an early encounter with failure. 
you know, was in my um, later years of high school or just when you're about to, you know, finish and go out and be an adult in this world. I went from an A, full A-grade student to having circumstances in my life that kind of were a bit chaotic for many different reasons. And naturally that reflected in my, my grades as they do. And seeing this beautiful pride-filled ace morph into something that was just above average was um, horrible. And my, um, like I didn't realize it then, but I was very depressed. I didn't have the vocabulary for it. And uh, I, people didn't talk about mental health as, as, they, as they do today. So not only was I like a struggling teenager and that, what I think everyone can relate to, is really difficult. But within that struggle, I was also just like, seeing my the the person who I identified as the little glimmer of hope of like maybe I am worthy of anything you know or maybe I'm worthy of something um was very attached to these grids and what's interesting to think back on is that when my my grades started dropping it just actually made me pull back even more it was kind of a regaining of control of some sorts of like if if I can't have an A I'm not going to have anything kind of approach which if you translate in that into what adult life is or kind of the context of what we're talking about now is that it was clear that I, in, instead of just like getting into the ring, I just pulled away because I didn't want to let my attempts be kind of graded and reflect anything that I uh, couldn't accept uh, at that point. So this is just a tiny little speck of the entire story, of course. There was just so many things um, learned and what happened, but I won't bore you with it too much. But I think it really ha- it gave me an invitation into like a world of darkness that I'm so uh, uh, grateful for. Because I had to, at an early stage, really crumble and fall kind of and then rebuild myself. And it was a long time that I identified as kind of the the high school, um, what would you call it, dropout or the high school um, failure. Like, oh, what's going to become of this girl? I just literally felt like there was no outlook for me in life because we have these very clear pathways um, that we're supposed to take and we should, yeah, to trot along and you're supposed to get this extra degree. And um, I just couldn't do that at that time. And um, yeah, it took a long while for me to kind of uh, find a relationship that was based on like self-love and self-worth. And were there any, so in that journey from that, um, the girl at high school who was, you know, purposely not trying in order to not fail, mm. were there any kind of clear markers on the way from there to where you are now in terms of that really redefined this sort of relationship with failing? Yeah, so I don't think that there's like a defining moment. I think it's a constant practice and it's something that you have to uh, do, redo, undo and relearn like throughout life. But I think I'm really grateful for the relationship that I have to it. Thanks for the, the experiences that I had early on. And I mean, it sounds a bit contradictive because it was horrible. Um, but it's kind of nice to know what it's like to be in those scenarios. And they, they do define you in some way in terms of kind of the, the power you have to alchemize your way out of it. And 
I always have this image of kind of like sinking towards the bottom and you desperately just want to get up to surface. And no matter what you're trying, like you're, you're trying to swim, but the weight of your failure <laughs> of a piss of a human being is kind of, it's too heavy. So you're, you're just sinking and you're super scared about what, what's going to happen down there. Like, and in this scenario, you won't drown because it's just your inner darkness. It feels like you're going to drown, but it's actually just, you know, you're not in water. But in this met metaphorical water, we're really scared about what's down there. But the good thing with kind of self-acceptance of what is, is that when you finally touch your feet on the ground, I think that happens in correlation when you kind of go, oh, was this it? Like, is this the scariest mm -hmm. it can get? Um, is it so scary to think that I'm incapable of this? But if I'm incapable of this, then what? Like I have no, no, I have nowhere else to, to, to sink in this scenario, whether, um, yeah, how, how miserable can I become before I just accept that I'm miserable? And once that kind of acceptance switch comes in, which sounds easier than it is because it's so, um, dark to be down there. It's fucking lonely and it's, it's despair, like embodied. But once you're down there and there comes in a glimmer of hope of like, okay, well, if this is it, if this is the darkest and most miserable I can get, what do I need now? And mm. there's just a switch from like running away because then you keep seeing this. For as long as we run away from things, we don't face them and we don't have that kind of confrontation that we need in order to be like, okay, now I'm ready to move on. Um, and not necessarily, you know, just move on as and run away again, but maybe ask for help or support or give yourself the love that you kind of needed all along in order to actually achieve the things you wanted to do. Because I had to find out that, it, you know, it wasn't my intellect that was wrong. It wasn't that I, I internalized it in high school as like, oh, what if I'm just stupid? But that's not what it was. Like, baby girl, you just needed, a, you know, a bit of a, uh, attention, care and uh, encouragement and time to heal a few different things. So really stepping into that self-nurturing and understanding that like we all are capable of things if we just give ourselves the right um, uh, circumstances. Now, like the whole thing with external um, achievements is always going to be a bitch, I think. There's no way you, you can get around that. But I think not attaching too much what other people think or like the storyline that's displayed outwards. Because if you look at, for example, the school journey I had from being this like, yeah, I like that we don't call it the high school dropout in Swedish, but you know, that image of the disturbed teenager. I mean, it was just a few years after that, that I got asked to come into universities to give lectures and like teach. And to me, that was such a what the fuck moment, because I completely rewired a story from just being so unhopeful and there's no pathway for me. And Well, that's that's interesting, isn't it? Because everybody's looking for the piece of logical advice that someone can give you to kind of alchemize what you just described. And the, and it seems to me that there isn't really, you can't tell someone how to experience that unless they've experienced it. Yeah. But yet that as a product of like, this person has this certain energy about them because they've been through that. 
mm. is something that everyone wants to hear and wants to listen to. Yeah. And I think the advice that I give people, like I have a lot of friends who can testify to this, but sometimes when they go through really hard things, I'm like, good for you. I'm so happy that you are like you're at this place because I can't wait to see how you get out on the other side if you allow yourself to be a complete fucking failure right now. And I'll I'll be by your side. I will love you through it. I will hold your hand at the bottom and just, you know, support you in actually looking at this shit and even encouraging it with some tough love sometimes and some soft love sometimes. But it's all love. We just need to have the courage to look at it together. Because um, there's just so much to gain in exploring your inner realms of the shit we don't want to look at or the things we don't want to think about ourselves. Like, if you think the worst of yourself, there isn't really much that the outer world can um, can do to you. Like, I feel quite immune against other people's judgments because, like, well, I don't give a shit. Watch me. Like, I'm going to do what I want to do. Um and yeah, I really encourage if anyone's listening to this and they're they're in a place where they feel like they're not aligned with, you know, their expectations on themselves or from the outer world and you feel yourself slipping into a spiral, like use that spiral because we shouldn't avoid the spirals, the negative spirals, I mean, or the positive for that matter. I mean, the ancient Greeks going back again, I love the ancient Greeks. They really just seem to have a lot of this stuff. Maybe nailed, you reincarnated. Nailed down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I do. It's, I find it fascinating what their lives were like in that they were just pondering these things and 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 kind of coming up with these universal wisdoms. But mm. I haven't got the quote to hand, but Marcus Aurelius also had something to say about this, which was, you know, you shouldn't think of the misgiving or the failure as misfortune or become bitter, yet you should see it as good fortune to bear the the burden worthily. Mm. What I take from that is that, you know, if you're able to think of a different way of accepting this misfortune that you've had mm. and being able to kind of use it in order to get better or to, to do something else, then that in itself is the good fortune and is yeah. a kind of tool against becoming bitter. Yeah. And I think we're all just storytellers and we really need to be um, cautious and aware of what are the stories that we tell ourselves because it really is going to impact your experience on this earth and in this life. And there's a lot of toxic, you know, positivity and people just, yeah, you know, want to only speak about positive things or just focus on the positive. But I think that kind of misses the point. The point is to find the beauty in the pin and to to not want to make the pin something else than it is and to just see it for what it is to like take a stroll down a really dark alley in your own soul and just to appreciate for like the vastness or the the width of experiences that we can have and that to to be able to experience it is the gift in itself um that makes me think a lot about how now we've almost become, or at least, at least it feels like, um, obsessed with optimizing. So getting the perfect start to your day, getting the perfect, you know, all if this. If I see another YouTube video that's my morning routine, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I think with all this stuff, it's like, 
with all this optimization, you're creating more chance. You're creating more failure. Mm. Because when you don't do those things, you somehow get spooked as if you can't do the thing that you want to do without doing those things. Yeah. Or superstition, I guess you call that. Yeah, and what are we optimizing for? I think that's also a fundamental issue right now in the times that we're in. Because all, all the innovation that we have around us should ultimately free up time so that we can um, put our energy on other things. But every single tool that still comes out just frees up more time so that we can work even more and then we're just... Yeah. And it's the same with optimization things. Like, what are you optimizing for? I don't, I think we've gotten yeah, a bit well, lost there. Well, I do think some, some of it is, it's not all optimizing for work. Some of it obviously is, but some of it's like, it is true that if, in my experience, that if I wake up earlier, then I feel more in tune with my circadian rhythms. And You'd love your mornings. <laughs> I feel better. <laughs> but the the problem is, is that you... Yeah, I mean, it's very easy to get superstitious about it because the day that you don't have that thing, then you you almost feel like, well, I've not done the thing. Oh, I'm useless now. Mm. I can't. Do it. And it's just nonsense, isn't it? And if it's you like, have that story in your mind, and then you get a decline of a pitch, you're really a useless person. Like it just builds up this negative kind of self-talk that we have, and it outer circumstances becomes proof to our own inner failure that we're already whispering about in ourselves. Another great example of interacting with failure has been your writing and mm. your journey towards becoming a published writer. Yeah, I'm not optimizing that. I can see. <laughs> I'm really bad. Um, that's a working progress. I want to... Um, carve out because that's like time and, and my own emotional resources because it's so important but I have not optimized it but it's a work in progress um, well I mean you say you haven't optimized it but you've you've sent it to publishers who are speaking very favorably about it so yeah uh, fuck uh, the optimization fuck <laughs> yeah um and I, th I think this actually ties back a little bit to the whole long ramble about my school uh, experience because I I didn't grow up thinking like oh I really want to be an author one day I feel really unattached to um, to that title like if I get one of my stories published that would be super dope but it's not necessarily uh, something I'm I'm attached to it would just be like a really fun experiment of like wow is this how you can interact with the world that things that I just draw out of my brain and have so much fun creating if that actually sticks with the public and, and perhaps you know gets read by someone who enjoys it that would be that would be really really cool um but yeah i've sent uh, a script to a few publishers in sweden and uh, i did that earlier in this year uh, and i got a few responses back the first one was a no um and of course that didn't feel good like it didn't, no matter if I'm like, no, I'm not attached to this outcome. Like it just didn't feel good that, oh, maybe, maybe I just can't do this. And like, I really made a conscious effort at that time to note how my self-talk was, was, was blabbering. Um, and perhaps because I was quite aware of it, it didn't stick around for very long. And I was just, okay, I'm just going to focus on the things that I'm doing right now instead. And then a week later, two yeses came in and like now I'm in the process of just figuring out how publishing works and speaking to them and see the various deals and what to look out for and, and so on. Um, and also took note of 
how did my self-talk go when I did get a reply? And yeah, how you, yeah, the, what you said, they're speaking favorably about it, you know. Like, I obviously understand that they just write that because <laughs> it's, a, it's a give and take and they, they, they yeah, they, they want to butter me up because we could possibly, like they're being polite. That's, that's what I'm thinking. I'm not taking that to heart necessarily um, because I don't want to build up any Expectation. expectations. Yeah. I think a healthy way to, to approach these kind of dialogues though is to take it at face value. To be like, yeah, they're being polite for a reason because they want, they're, they're interested. Mm. And I think, it's easy to be cynical and say, well, they must say that to everyone. And, you know, but the fact is they're not saying it to everyone. They're saying no to a lot of people Mm. and they are being polite and courteous and whatever you want to call it to you. Ultimately they read it. They think it's banging and you know, the conversation continues. Mm, Yeah. But also I feel quite brave to talk about it because it hasn't been signed. We haven't, you know, come very far in the process and there's a long way to, to go still and it might end up with it not being published uh, for whatever reasons and that's okay like it's okay to have aspirations and just experiment your way on this yeah treasure hunt as I called it last episode of life um, and just see what you find and th- throw some pasta on the wall and see if it sticks um, and not be scared if it gets a I bit like too that. messy yeah pasta. <laughs> um so yeah, I guess that's a good, uh, just for any creatives out there or anyone else for that matter. Um, I mean, everyone's creative. I really don't ever want to become a person who says, you know, for the creatives and f- exclude people because I do genuinely believe that if we had a different set of like perspectives on what a creative is, then everyone would be. So forever, whoever is listening to this, um, just, yeah, just try it out and speak about it don't wait until something is just achieved to be able to have fun during the process and 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 talk about it because i think we can learn a lot from just being a little bit more messy Mm. together publicly you can't make an omelette without breaking a few eggs Mm. (laughs) (laughs) i know we're gonna quote canon today um but to round up this conversation i think it would be interesting to listen to what you think about what would this what would failure be in the context of this podcast? Because we're just in the beginning, so anything can happen. What would failure be to you? I think failure primarily would be not doing it, would be the first kind of big failure tick. That would be the first thing. And then I think, yeah, some some sense that we're getting away from our intentions with it. And that's not to say that our intentions at the beginning need to be fixed and, and can't change. But yeah, in some way, starting to make something that we think um, that a certain group of people is going to like. And that sounds contradictory because I suppose in doing this and sharing us, there is it's hard not to think of a certain type of people this, that might like this. Our family. <laughs> yeah, primarily. Mum, dad, <laughs> thanks for listening. Um, but no, I, I mean more, I mean, I read this book last year called Doppelganger by Naomi Klein, which really talks about this, this idea that in this now we, we're so accustomed with creating online avatars of ourselves Um effectively creating this kind of self-brand that 
kind of creates this problem because there's two of us. There's the online us and there's the real us. And and however large, it doesn't really matter. Obviously, the pressure gets so much more intense the larger your audience gets. But I think in any case, if you're just sharing things to your friends on social media, there's there's an expectation there of how you post and how you share things publicly hmm. that I think creates this sort of like conversation which I think is very easy to slip into yeah. it's almost like like I believe we have a desire to be consistent it's quite hard for us to you know and we've said we've expressed some kind of view or opinion about something when we see that person again in an ideal world we would like to be consistent mm. I don't know I'm not quite sure why that is but it seems to me to be the case so I think when you're putting things into the the internet kind of void, mm. that desire to be consistent and to, yeah, keep giving people what you perceive that they want could create some kind of issue, which I think would amount to a failure if not kind of kept in check. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's the, if we start chopping up the content that we have in order to like reach... Um, listens or views or that we we kind of skew the content of this in order for it to be optimized <laughs> um, for f- I mean we want it optimized to some degree like we want it to be you know hopefully produced well recorded well and, and hopefully giving people yeah. something that they can take away but yeah, optimized for the quality of, of conversation, but that's not clickbaits or, you know, creating campaigns in order for to, to make people listen to this. I kind of want to see this podcast as like slow TV, uh, you know, an antidote of short clips uh, just so that people can get to the point. And like, it's kind of nice to reclaim a good conversation. Um, so that's that's one thing that I see at least. So I came across this article um, written by Gurwinder and um, he was writing about this phenomenon, phenomenon that I think um, Eric Weinstein was c- coined uh, called Audience Capture. And it was a, a great article um, about how, yeah, how we morph for the audiences and how easy it is to lose lose ourselves when we're only reflecting kind of what when our when our jobs become dependent on the public reactions online how is it is to morph and one of the examples whom i had never come across before i don't know if you had heard about him before but it's called um nico cado avocado as a youtube phenomenon of this he started out as a 16 year old super sweet vegan guy who was like playing the violin and trying to really take care of his body he was only yeah, well, eating a lot of avocados and fruits and was like showing updates on his health journey together with his boyfriend. Um, and then one year he decided to um, stop eating vegan and became um, omni-eater um, and started doing mukbangs at the, at the same time. And at this point in time on YouTube, mukbangs was really like a big thing. And for anyone who's lived under a stone and don't know what a mukbang is, is you chat to people while eating, recording yourself or doing it at a live stream. So you're kind of having a meal with someone. Um, and he started doing that in the transition of going from vegan to meat. And he started eating really unhealthy. So he more like went from a, on a journey from being super health oriented vegan to 
eating quite unhealthy. And the more unhealthy he was eating, the more positively people were responding to his videos. And this rapidly grew to the point where they were just like egging him on to eat as much crap as possible. And if he was doing that, he would get more views. I think he even had those, you know, Twitch live streams or whatever it is where people could donate or bet on how much he could eat. And I mean, now it's many, many years uh, forward and he is so, yeah, it feels mean to say it, but he's, he's turned into this grotesque being that is absolutely wrecking the internet with so much. Like when I was watching this to just do a little bit of research, I left feeling my nervous system re- needed a little bit of recalibration because there was so much dissonance in how he's acting. I mean, this is not about, you know, fat shaming, but the crying, the screaming, the extreme volatile behavior of how how dramatic and dis- disturbed can I be to keep you entertained? And obviously he is huge today. He needs, he, he keeps having goals about how much he can gain now instead of losing or, or having positive things. So he constantly goes to the doctor, like he needs to have one of those face masks now and he just wobbles around his fat in this video, smashing so much unhealthy food. And this is a perfect example of, I mean, obviously a very extreme example, where um, audience capture really took this quite sweet, innocent 16-year-old at a place in time where he was very... um, porous to the impression of others and how much effect that had on his life. And I think he's over 30 now. And he kept, like historically has been saying, when I turn 30, I'm going to do the biggest weight loss journey. Um, so you can you can watch me then. Um, but now he's over 30 it's, and it's it's not happening. Um, and I really think that we we can't think, even if he's playing like a charade, because there's, there's, you know, not rumors, there's theories that he's just a very smart businessman who's like hacked the thing and, you know, people draw those kind of conclusions that he's aware of what he's doing. But there is no way that a soul and a conscious mind can just act and be someone for the camera because through them we see ourselves to some extent. And if we're not careful, um, I think it shapes us. So I think to draw it back to us, a big fear is that we do become this optimization quote spitting uh, Eating contest. <laughs> I will not be smashing 20 burgers we on won't, this podcast. But you know what I mean? Like our version of that, not uh, just... Try starting saying things that aren't authentic to us just because we know that that was resonates at the market right now. Mm. Um, and also maybe, you know, doing too much research before so it doesn't really become an uncalculated conversation. Like I think there's something to protect there. Because um, ultimately I think my goal in life, as of now, because I might change my mind uh, to what you said about consistency, but it's to like unlock autonomy through authenticity. And I want to do that in every area of my life, whether it's my writing or, you know, pursuit of being a person who uh, daringly speaks online um, or if it's in partnership with you as a wife. Um, Yeah, I think that's it. But before we end this episode, let's um, talk about the piece that we're going to hear. So what you're about to hear is the music pitch we discussed earlier. And this felt like a special project because it meant that we actually got to collaborate because we needed to have some lyrics. And 
it's an amazing gift to have such a lyricist on hand when needed. Why don't you talk a little bit about the lyrics and sort of what the song's about? So the lyrics for this piece was obviously created um, according to a specific brief that we got. And it was quite interesting to kind of work within those parameters um, and not be too on the nose. But it's a motivational piece about finding the inner motivation to really just just do it. The things that we um, really wish that we could do, but perhaps the fears or anxieties about the potential failure keep us from from doing it. Um, But if we pay attention, we can kind of feel this inclination that something is calling us to dare to believe that it's possible. And it kind of creeps in like an echo from distant dreams. So that's all I have to say about the lyrics. And the artwork also I want to mention that we have on this piece is an illustration by Hanna Nordqvist. And I'm sure we'll mention her many times um, again because I'm also collaborating with her on another project. But uh, a huge thank you for that beautiful contribution. And not only did we collaborate, we also collaborated with a singer called Kersha Bailey, um, who's amazingly talented and just kind of brought the whole thing to another level. I hope it's going to work listening to it without any visuals. I've tried to kind of extend the track a little bit so that it it functions a bit more like a piece of music. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Um, It was super fun to put together. Rest in peace, bitch. (laughs) We love you. That sounded like you said rest rest in peace, bitch. Yeah, same thing.
Thanks for tuning in to the second episode of The Dragon and the Stoic, the podcast where we discuss the creative industry, a life of freelance, and artistic expression. The next episode will be released in a month. We hope you tune in again. Until then, take care and nurture the courage to create.